Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is session number 89 tonight, uh, as we are continuing to cruise our way through chapter 12 of book one of the Lord of the Rings, uh, a cool two plus years into our discussion. Um, so don't worry, we have uh, plenty to talk about tonight. I hear that there was some discussion about whether or not we were going to get to the Ford tonight uh, here before we started. And all I have to say is, I think that's an adorable conversation <laughs> to be having. <laughs> Let me just say, uh, the, the phrase that that, that that question brings to mind is, safe money is, uh, is the phrase that that brings to mind. But anyway, um, okay, let's, um, let's get started. Well, okay, wait, quick, before we get started, just a couple announcements to, uh, this week. Not so many as last week. Um, I am headed down to TechSmoot. Uh, this weekend, really looking forward to getting to Texas, hoping to see some of you there. I know that there are some people here. I know Tolkien Maven is working on her paper, uh, re revising her paper here for TechSmooch. She's going to be presenting, which is great. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, anyway, so we're going to uh, I'm looking forward to getting to see a whole lot of people. There's a there's a record attendance at TechSmooch this year. Record, not just for um, uh Record not just for text moot, but for any of our regional moots. So uh, it's going to be an enormous crowd, more than 100 people coming to text moot this year. Uh, and that's going to be great. So anyhow, I'm really looking forward to that. It does mean I will be away on Friday, so I won't be able to do my regular Griffwood stream for those of you who uh, who often watch that. Um, but of course, obviously, I'm here tonight and I'll be uh, at class tomorrow night, too, for the Mallory class as well. So uh, those two will be normal and then no Griffwood this week. Um, but it's going to be a great time down in Texas. Really looking forward forward to that. Um, the other thing to point out, our classes just started. It's the second day of our spring semester at Signum University. So uh, for those of you who were thinking of auditing or something, there's still time. Just wanted to let you know our classes remain open for the first couple weeks uh, and then they close. But of course, obviously, sooner is better. So I know there are some people who are uh, thinking about either auditing uh, or uh, uh, discussion auditing or something, there's still time to jump in. So just wanted to make sure that um, uh, everybody was aware of that. And finally, we uh, yes, we do have uh, Mythmoot coming up soon uh, in June. I know that registration has been somewhat delayed this year. There's been some kind of negotiations going on back scene here, um, mostly between us and the venue, trying to sort some things out. Um, but uh, we're, we're close, I think, to that. Just about ready to uh, open registration soon, I hope. Um, so, And we should have some exciting announcements as well as we have uh, uh, made some um, progress towards securing our keynote speakers and everything, which I'm really excited about. Uh, should be a really fun group this year. So we're looking towards uh, the end of June again. Um, right now, the projected weekend for that is the last weekend of June. Uh, so yeah, 27th through the 30th are the dates we're working on. And again, like we haven't opened registration yet because there's still, you know, like it's, we're, we're being careful, right? We're being careful, uh, until every, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've gotten everything officially settled and there are still a couple small things that are sort of up in the air. So, uh, as soon as we sort that out, we'll open up registration. So I hope that will be, uh, that will be very soon. And there's still, even though we're opening it later this year than we did last year, we still will have an early bird registration period like we did the previous two years. So, um, we're, 
we're working on that. Anyway, Mythmoot is going to be uh, fantastic this year. For those of you who have never been to Mythmoot, it is so worthwhile. It's a four-day conference. Uh, it is it is like the you know the the regional moots are like the, this little taste of the experience, you know. Uh, and Mythmoot is just this 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 wonderful. T- it's like. Uh, I don't even know what it's like. It's like nothing else. I, I just absolutely love Mythmoot. Um, all of the intellectual stimulation of an academic conference with, with all of the fun and camaraderie of, uh, uh, of a fan convention, uh, and, uh, you know, like, a, you know, like homecoming party and gathering of, uh, uh, of old friends. It is just so wonderful. I look forward to it so much every year. Um, anyway, all right. We're gonna, um, so those are those are our announcements for this week. Let us move on because um, uh, the um, oh yeah, Valori and the room of requirement was so much fun last year. We had a room of requirement uh, which uh, Valori was in charge of, and it was uh, it was it was fantastic. I really loved the room of requirement last year. I even got to sneak off to it once. Uh, you know, when it, one of the few times when I found myself by myself and and I sort of sneaked off and was looking at some of the books and stuff that we had. It was really fun. Um, but anyway, okay, so. This evening, section eight, uh, session, I should say, session 89, in the hands of Glorfindel. Uh, what happens when Glorfindel is in charge, right? When your group is being run by an elf lord, uh, what happens? Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at here tonight. I hope we'll, we, we may get through several paragraphs of text. We'll see. Um, JJ, we should do something special for the 111st session, shouldn't we? I mean, it kind of, I was thinking about that today. We're, we're, we're starting to get up, uh, we're starting to get close to that. We'll see. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Uh, so let's see, what was I going to say? Uh, right. I don't know what I was going to say. Um, Let's get to uh, three questions that I wanted to address from the discussion boards uh, here this week. Uh, Philip, uh, and and we have several Philips uh, involved. So, Philip, I'm not quite sure. I'll just call you Philip at the risk of confusing you with with all of our other Philips. But um, Philip was saying, I've been catching up on some recent classes and noticed that in both episode 82 and 83, we see two more instances, one alone and one with Mary, where Strider seeks higher elevation during times of uncertainty. I remember how he had talked back at Weathertop about his tendency to do so, how we had talked about his tendency to do so, and thought these recent examples were rather interesting. Much unlike Weathertop and Emon Hen and possibly Karathras, the two scouting summits in the flight to the Ford both turn out quite well, resulting in him being able to better guide the company. This got me to wondering if these two positive climbs give us a hint at the reason behind his tendency to seek higher elevation during uncertainty, even when it doesn't seem entirely logical. After all, he's a ranger, and I can imagine that for one who wanders about in the wild a good deal, finding a high spot could probably become a routine solution when you don't know what to do or where to go. Is it possible that this practice is what's, is what's influencing some of the other choices we see Strider make? Um, I think it's really, uh, I think it's really interesting. You know, I think it's, uh, uh, this, this is true. And, you know, I... Philip was kind of prompting me to think about this both in a literal sense and also, I think, in a metaphorical sense, right? As we think about um, uh, the, the you know, Strider's extended career, right? Um, he does have a tendency to go to high spots and want to look around, right? In order to establish uh, his mind, right? His decisions as he moves forward. And when I say thinking metaphorically about that, of course, there's the one where... 
he uh, there's one where it's both literal and metaphorical, right? And that's Amon Hen I'm thinking of, right? Because, of course, going to Amon Hen is not just going to a high spot to look around, right? Um, you know, there's, it's the seat of seeing, right? And as we can see from, uh, from Frodo's experience when he's on Amon Hen, um, you can see, um, uh, you can see much more than just the vantage point from a high spot from there, right? So his desire to gain the advantage that was sort of magically secured there somehow, right? We don't really know the mechanism of, of Amon Hen, but however it works, uh, there is this magical ability to see around, probably just to survey around in space, uh, maybe to survey around in time. Um, uh, we'll see a little bit more about that when we get there. But anyway, uh, the point is, why did he do that? Remember the time, right? Um, he goes up to Amon Hen after, so he's, he's pursuing Frodo, right? And Sam is with him at first and, until he leaves Sam in the dust. And then Sam turns, turns back and figures out where Frodo's going to go. Right. Um, but Sam or Strider is following Frodo's footprints and he sees Frodo's footprints coming back down. So he knows Frodo's not up on the hill anymore, but he takes some time off uh, from his pursuit of Frodo in what would seem to be a very urgent situation uh, still to sprint up the hill and sit on the seat of Amon Hen because it's, he knows, like, I'm probably not going to get a chance. This is it, right? This is the closest I'm going to get to this seat. I need to go there right now. Um, so I agree. That's definitely an impulse of his. The other thing that I would connect with this, and this is a, a sort of a purely metaphorical, uh, really, seeking of a high place to look around, and that's his looking into the Palantir uh, uh, in Helm's Deep on the way back home from Orthanc, right? He needs to know what's going on. He needs to know how things are sitting in order to make his decision. Um, now, I don't think that this is an unreasonable thing that Strider does, right? It does make a certain amount of sense that if you want to figure out where to go, you look around and get the, the lay of the land first, right? That makes all different kinds of sense. Um, however, I, I do think sort of seeing that as a general tendency... Um, there are some kind of conclusions that we can draw from that. You know, Strider, um, for Thalus, well, we'll talk about it more when we get there about why he looks in the Palantir. I do think challenging Sauron is part of his point, but, uh, I don't, it's not my opinion that that's the main reason why he does it. I think he go, looks in the Palantir in order to see into the Palantir. And, he challenges Sauron. He knows that in order to do that, he's going to have to challenge Sauron. And he decides, in the end, I think it's a good idea, right? Um, I think it, it rather than it being a bad thing for me to reveal myself to Sauron, I think under the circumstances, it would be a good thing uh, um, and, and a net game. So let's go ahead and do that. That's my assessment anyway of his decision process, though it's he's not totally explicit about that. Um, anyway. The one thing which seems to be most interesting in the in in and you know sort of back to the whole sort of spirit of Philip's observation here, Aragorn look is a looker before he leaps, right? In general, um, and I think that one of the things that I, um, sometimes emphasize about Aragorn, and I remember especially, um. I remember especially when we were looking at, uh, when reading the two towers in the Mythgard Academy class that we did on the two towers, which was one of the first ones we ever did. Um, 
we uh, uh, one of the things that I was really interested in there is looking at decision making, um, which I think is a major spotlight, especially in book three. Um, and I was noting the faith under which Aragorn often functions. You know, he's often saying things like, let us take this stone uh, that was set here as a sign, right? Let us take this as a sign and move forward, trusting that this is a good idea, right? That kind of faith is something that Aragorn shows on multiple occasions, right? That's that's a pattern of him in his decision-making. But he is certainly not um, not wanting to uh, just... He doesn't just move forward blindly, right? He does habitually want to see what's coming, right? Wants to, uh, to, to, to know what's coming. So I think that it's just, it, it is an interesting little piece of evidence that we can put together with some other things in order to make uh, a sort of a larger picture to draw some larger conclusions about, uh, Aragorn as decision maker, which is going to be something that's going to be under the spotlight at various occasions, as I, as I, I think, especially, uh, in, in volume three, in book three, rather. Um, anyhow, um, yeah, and, uh, um, Valori, I like, he is, uh, acrophilic. Uh, I, 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 I like that word. That's my word of the day now. Um, <laughs> no, Tamsin, and it's not when in doubt, get high. That's similar, but not exactly the same <laughs> as, as what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, he's definitely not going to earn the blind leaper deed trifle. That's exactly that's exactly what we see Aragorn not doing so often, right? And even again, if you think about it, thinking about uh, you know, thinking of Philip's reference to Carathras, it's not, of course, he doesn't go up Carathras because he's wanting to look around, right? Um, but at the same time, uh, he doesn't want to take a leap in the dark, right? Um, Carathras is a danger, but it's a known danger. And that's the whole gist of his argument to Gandalf, right? Going into Moria is going into a much more complete unknown. Um, so Arden Crayon, I agree. There's something about, you know, um, uh, you know, his being a, a, a something about it's something somewhat kingly right you know not wanting to but i see i don't think it's primarily about display i mean about being seen on the hilltop of all of course they might have been seen on weathertop but um but i think it's mostly it's it's mostly about him 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 seeing so it's not about displaying himself for others to see it's more about him having as much information as he can about what's happening around him in order for him to make his decision that's not a bad thing right um uh you know that's um you know there's no argument that that's uh that that's bad it's just an interesting point in light of uh in light of some other things um anyway okay next let's keep going second observation we have two observations inspired by single words which are great right i love single word observations um so um Okay, Matt was pointing out something about raiment. We talked briefly about the word ra- about the word raiment. Uh, it's an unusual word, right? We talked about the the sort of slightly more archaic tone that 
uh, is struck there when he is seeing, you know, light shining through the form and raiment of the rider. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, uh, Matt was doing some research and says, in the discussion of Gorfindel and his raiment, there was a sense that the word was being used differently. Looking through the times it is used, it appears to be associated with elf-made items, the clothing of Arwen and Glorfindel, the cloaks of the Fellowship that are the gifts that are gifts from Goadriel. The other two moments are the raiment brought out of, the- of Theoden's hoard, the gifts of my fathers out of Gondor, and the cloak of Finduilus of Amroth that Faramir gives to Lady Eowyn in the Houses of Healing. Given the associations of named items in works like Beowulf, like his armor was made by Wayland Smith, there is a case for these items being either actual or, by reputation, attributed associations with elf make. That's really interesting. And I'm not sure. I, um, um, I don't know if, um, uh, I don't know if I would go quite that far. Maybe? Maybe it's as specific as that. Maybe there's this sense, you know, so do I think that Tolkien would sort of use that word under these peculiar circumstances? Meaning that. Do I think he might do that? Yeah, sure. I think it's a kind of thing that Tolkien would do. Um, That I do think he would have been choosing deliberately when he used the word raiment in these particular cases. The main thing that I would say and Matt I don't know that I don't think this is a disagreement as much as maybe I would kind of recontextualize it or I'd approach the same thing that I think that you're seeing in a slightly from a slightly different direction I think I would say the word raiment is archaic that of course doesn't make it illegal in Tolkien's uh, vocabulary but it makes it particular right he doesn't Tolkien does and this is again something that I think that um uh, this is something I, I think that Tolkien is often is, is often misunderstood about Tolkien. And you can hear this. There's even I forget the number. Somebody might look it up. Um, there's a there's a some of his letters where he defends this. There's this one in particular, uh, one of his published letters, um, where he goes on at great length about this. People complaining about the the archaic terms that he uses, and he actually. Um, goes into the, um, uh, like, he gives one of Theoden's speeches and translates it into totally modern English, right? Uh, and kind of offers that as an alternative. Um, and his argument basically is that, like, this is, this is not an improvement, right? There, there's, a, there's a reason for Theoden to speak the way that he does, right? Because he is a king and because of the circumstances and everything, he he's he would not talk like that. He would not talk like, you know, if you just put normal modern English into his mouth, he would no longer be, be him in his situation. Uh, it would just, it would be inappropriate. Um, anyway, the overall point, though, that I would get at there is that some people, I think, uh, make the mistake uh, of, you know, especially, you know, people who have not read much Tolkien or, or are reading Tolkien relatively uh, sort of superficially just have the impression that he's using random archaic words just for the heck of it, right? Like he's just, you know, it's just a deliberately sort of stilted style uh, choice, right? In which he's trying to separate himself from modern uh, uh, writers. And I do not believe that that is the case at all. Um he um, he definitely uses those words 
deliberately in order to make a particular if to, to, to establish an, a particular effect because he thinks that the, that word is better to use in that case than others. Um, yes, Simon, I agree. It is always a little bit uh, people arguing with a philologist about his, his choice of appropriate terminology. Yeah, they, they, kind, of, they kind of get what they deserve, uh, people who do that, I agree. Um, but uh, anyway, coming back to Raymond here, right? Um, I uh, and uh, trifle. I agree. Uh, the verb arrayed would be interesting to look at there too, because uh, that strikes me as similar, right? Arrayed is kind of a synonym for dressed, right? But it's different. It's not. It does not have the same effect. Just as raiment means clothing, but it is not the same word, right? Um, what is the effect? Why does he go for a for a for a more archaic word there? Um, it is possible, Matt, as you were suggesting, that he's that you know he's associating this word in some way. It's it's a subset, right? That uh, that raiment, you know, in sort of Middle Earth terms or like Middle Earth terms as translated into modern English, that that means that there's you know is is the implication that there is a uh, um, is the implication there that in the original Westron, right, from which the text is being translated, um, they um, uh, they tend to, you know, like there's there's a specific uh, a specific noun, right, a synonym of clothing, which specifically means elf garments, right, elfin garments, somehow, right, uh, and that word. Tolkien is choosing to translate into modern English as raiment, right? It's possible. I, I, I can absolutely see that happening. But I'm not quite sure. Um, again, the way that I would approach it, at least how I'd approach it initially, would be a little bit more, um, I don't know, a little bit broader than that, maybe a little bit just less specific, less particular than that. Um, one thing that all of these things have in common, right? Um, the meeting with Gorfindel, maybe even less so, actually, the meeting of Gorfindel than many of the others, but seeing Arwen, right, and what Arwen is wearing, uh, the 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 uh, the cloaks of the Rohirrim, and the one who calls the the Lothlorien cloaks raiment is uh, is Eomer, right? When when they meet him, strange too is your raiment, he says, right? So this is a stranger in a meeting unknown strangers situation being polite, uh, as one tends to do. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. And then, and then, yeah, the, the, the raiment that's brought out of Theoden's horde, right. That's a formal occasion. Uh, the presentation of the cloak of Finduilus to Lady Eowyn in the houses of healing is a formal occasion as well. Um, I don't know that raiment necessarily means something like dress clothes, right? Um, oh, uh, Sharon, I missed Cecilia's comment. I saw it flash by, but it disappeared before I could read it. Could you copy it maybe into uh, Discord? I can't scroll back on my little screen here. Um, anyway, um, I, I, I do think that um, it's... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Eowyn asks for her raiment, right? Eowyn asks for her raiment when she she is when she wants to leave the house of the healing. Yeah, good, good. That too, like Eomer's usage of it, is in a in a 
it's not about formal garb necessarily, but it's about it, but it's in a polite. She's speaking formally uh, to the uh, uh, the master of the houses of healing. Right, it's a formal request for her street clothes so she can check out of the of the hospital. Right, um, yeah. So the way in which it's um, more polite, less casual. Right, it's it it seems to there seems to be either. Either there's like a, an occasion associated with it, or the clothing itself in question is special, like Arwen's clothing, like the clothing brought out from Theoden's hoard, uh, like the cloak of Finduilus. Right? Those are special garments. Right? Um, uh, yeah, elevated. See, I guess Matt. In the end, what I'm wondering is: is the specificity of is it about the clothing? Is it telling us something about the clothing or is it telling us something about the atmosphere and the occasion in which the clothing is being discussed? See what I mean? That's what I, I think I'm, I'm leaning towards the other, the other side of that, um, which, would in, which would be able to encompass, uh, for instance, Eowyn's calling for her raiment and even Amir. Amir might possibly perceive that the cloaks that they're wearing, the elf cloaks that they're wearing are strange or special in some way. So if the word raiment were to be associated with special clothes, he could conceivably be using it in that sense. But again, he could just as well be using it in the broader sense, uh, just the broader sense of politeness. I, you know, I'm speaking formally here. Um, uh, because I don't know you, uh, I think of the comments that Tom Shippey has made about politeness in you know Anglo-Saxon context, right? Uh, you know, you're always very polite when you meet strangers. Uh, you're always much more polite when uh, you know the stranger might whip out an axe and put it through your forehead, right? So you you're polite under such circumstances. Politeness is a good way to avoid getting killed. Um, uh, and Amir seems to be showing that species of politeness, I think, uh, to Aragorn. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony, Raymond is used in the Silmarillion to describe the physical forms of the Ainur. Um, I, I'm not really including that, mostly just because this, the register of the Silmarillion is different from the register of the Lord of the Rings. So um, it's not necessarily going to... I wouldn't necessarily include them in the same data set, I think. Um but I, I'm, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's irrelevant. Uh, I'm just saying I don't think it's uh, it's it is in that way not really a clean data point. If we're trying, if what we're trying to do is distinguish, you know, sort of fine tune our ears to distinguish between the different registers and tones and usages within the Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion usages are are kind of bad data points because the context, uh, whole structural context, is very is very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, okay. Oh, but Tony, see, now that you got me thinking about that, I'm, I'm now thinking about it. Not from a tonal point of view, not from a question of formality versus casualness or anything like that. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Matt points out that dressed uh, compared to arrayed 
right, is used. So, Matt, does that mean dressed and arrayed are actually used the same number of times in The Lord of the Rings? Or roughly? What is it? 12 and 11, respectively? No. 11 and 12 dressed to arrayed, right? Isn't that what you said? Just uh, uh, checking in on that. Anyway, um, really interesting stuff there. Um Let's for a second bring it back to Gorfindel. Why here? Why does he use the word raiment here? Thinking, having thought a little more broadly for a second about the way in which the word raiment is, you know, the, the, the occasions on which Tolkien chooses that word, right? Instead of saying clothing. Okay, arrayed 12 dress too, that's what I thought. Interesting. Um, anyhow, so, uh, um, having thought about that, why here? Right? Why with Gorfindel? And um, I think, actually, you know, I would take the Glorfindel instance as one of the... I would argue it would be one of the stronger to say it's about the context more than it's about the actual garments. Rather than being a tag for like a description of the, not a description, but a tag for like a, that it, that it tells you something about the clothes. I mean, I don't doubt that Gorfindel's clothes are very nice, um, but he's not, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's out riding, right? Out riding into danger. Um, especially the way in this case, in which we're talking about the, the, the white light shining through the form and raiment of the rider. Form is also a slightly unusual word, right? Not something that's, it's not his body, right? Not his skin, not his, you know, uh, it's his form, right? The form and raiment of the writer. Um, and that sentence has always had, it always sounds very reverential to me, right? Um, Frodo, who is the one perceiving this, right? Um, and I, and of course I would argue, uh, um, I would argue that he's um, Frodo was clearly the author of that of that description, right? Um, but anyway, the 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 whole the whole tone there suggests Frodo's own impression. He's his eyes are closing over, right? Yeah, Marianne, exactly. It's Frodo's point of view, and that's really important here, right? His eyes are are you know the, the shadows are coming between him and his friends, right? We're, we we got the description of that, right? And in this darkness, he sees the white light coming from Gorfindel, right? So having the living world, the, the world of daylight and friendship being uh, dropped more and more into shadow and feeling himself more and more lost in darkness. Now, when he looks at Gorfindel, he sees this, this warmth, this radiance, right? Coming from Gorfindel and the words used to describe that are formal or even, uh, uh, you know, reverent in a sense, right? Um, that's to me what sort of justifies the use of Raymond. Uh, he could have said his clothes, right, or his clothing, but he doesn't. He uses the more formal word there, not because it's a formal occasion, though they are being introduced. Uh, so I guess you could you could say that. Um, but but I think just in the context of that kind of reverence that. Frodo feels as he's seeing the light shining through the form and raiment of Gorfindel, right? Um, but um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, trifle. Okay, yes, you can make the argument with the Einor, right? The, 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 the physical shape of the Einors being like raiment, you know, the bodies of the Einors being like raiment that they put on. Um, which, so Frodo, just as Frodo is seeing past the physical to the spiritual essence of Glorfindel, uh, so we have the spiritual essence of the Einor and their physical form, which is but as their raiment. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not saying that there isn't, uh, there isn't a parallel to be made that there isn't anything interesting to think about there. My objection was only stylistic again. When you're thinking about style and shifts in, in tone and register, the Silmarillion is, uh, is in that sense a bad data point. Um, okay. Excellent. One more. One more. This uh, from another, uh, uh, another new person who hasn't posted before and who has been catching up with us. I always like to encourage the folks who are catching up because it's a huge job. Um, uh, this is from Net, who says, When talking about Glorfindel's introduction, I talked briefly about the implication of his being said to dwell in Rivendell. I said or implied that this distinguishes Glorfindel as being a part of Elrond's household or of being of some status within Rivendell. Uh, uh, I think, she says, this also says something about choice. Glorfindel is not of the house of Elrond. He dwells there. To be described as of someone's household suggests a formal service arrangement. For instance, a member of a royal household renders service to the king or queen, even if they themselves are of a very high status. This service does not have to be hard and may be largely ceremonial, but it's a formal arrangement. For Gorfindel to dwell in Rivendell implies his high status and close connection with Elrond, but also suggests it's an informal arrangement of his choice. Gorfindel chooses to live in Rivendell for now, but he has not tied himself there. He is equally free to leave and maybe found, found a new elf haven if he wanted. For other comparisons within Tolkien, Galadriel dwelt in Doriath, in, of the Noldor and Beleriand in the Silmarillion. She is certainly of high status within Doriath, but is not tied there. Among the various different versions of their history, Galadriel and Celeborn leave Doriath before its fall, usually to create a new realm. I'm sure there are other examples as well. Perhaps this forms part of the distinction between elf lords and normally non, normal non-lordly elves. An elf lord can choose to attach him or herself to another for a time, uh, even if it's an age or more, but ultimately it's their own choice to do so. I'm not sure what this says about non-lordly elves. Are elf servants gainfully employed, or do they serve for the love of it all at that moment? There must be some someone doing the washing and cooking, etc. And of course, we know we meet some of the uh, the servants, upper servants, admittedly, but we meet some of the servants, uh, the elf servants in the Elven King's Hall, right? Um. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I think this is a this is an excellent distinction, and I would completely agree. He dwells. In uh, uh, he dwells in Rivendell, right? He dwells in the house of Elrond. Um, he is like a permanent guest, right? Um, but I, I, I agree. I think that Ned has absolutely nailed the implications of that, um, and that seems exactly right. And I agree that the parallel with Galadriel is an interesting one. Galadriel is welcome in Doriath, right? She is an honored guest, um, clearly close with Melian, right? And obviously close with Celeborn. Um, but she's she can leave anytime she wants, right? She does not serve the thingle, right? She's not a part of his court in that same way. Um, so Glorfindel, likewise, he's there because he wants to be there, right? But he doesn't owe allegiance. The other thing that I would recall is remember Gildor's introducing himself, right? Uh, he says, my name is Gildor of the house of Finrod. 
he immediately announces his affiliation, right? Um, what group he's, he's, he's in, right? Um, now, the fact that his lord is no longer in Middle-earth, right, uh, having inconveniently perished for the time, uh, doesn't change the fact that he identifies himself as being of the House of Finrod. Um, but now, Fourth Dauntless asks, should it make a difference that Elrond isn't a king? Well, it's possible, but I don't think so. Galadriel's technically not, uh, you know, she's the lady of the Galothrim, right? But, uh, um, she's not exactly an elf king, an elf lord in the same way that, like, Fingolfin was back in the old days, for instance. But, um, uh, but yeah, Tony suggests that it's possible that G- Gorfindel sees himself and Elrond as peers. I agree. Um, uh, in fact, of course, if anything, it, it works the other way around, right? I mean, Gorfindel has a substantial amount of seniority uh, over Elrond, and not only that, right? But he, you know, he's a friend of the family, like a close friend of grandma and grandpa, right? <laughs> as far as Elrond is concerned. Um, you know, like, he's like, I used to babysit your dad kind of family friend, right? So, um so yeah, he's he is uh um a family friend of an older generation who is still hanging around with the kids, right? Um or has come back to live with the kids, right? Um it it's definitely um uh uh the, the, there's there's definitely and I agree Gorfindel isn't of the royal line while Elrond is. It's not just about seniority. And I'm not saying I, I the last thing I would want to suggest is that there's some kind of like power struggle between Gorfindel and Elrond. Elrond is obviously the master of Rivendell, and Gorfindel isn't challenging that, right? Um, but, um, uh, but, but yeah, he's, he's living with him. He, he's not, um, you know, he is not sworn to Elrond, right? At least not in any kind of formal way. I dwell there, right? The parallel I would make, um, and, you know, you could say that this wasn't exactly the same but I'm thinking about uh, Elrond and Gilgalad, right, who were clearly very close. And yes, Gilgalad was the High King, so you could say, yes, there was, that was a, you know, Elrond was the, you know, the, the, the servant. He, 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 was, he was under Glorfindel, right? He was the subject of Glorfindel. Yes, but actually it still kind of strikes me as, um, uh, uh, somewhat parallel actually, right? Um, that uh, uh, Elrond lived with Gilgalad, and then, of course, he moves on and founds, um, uh, and founds Rivendell uh, later on. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, Tony says this situation might also apply to Aragorn. Yeah. Um, Aragorn also says he dwelt there, that he uses that same word. Uh, uh, now, of course, there's not the same, the similar kind of thing. I mean, there's no question of uh, identifying himself, Right. That is saying, uh, like, you know, there's no question of Elrond being like a vassal of Elrond, right? Or uh, a sworn servant uh, uh, taking Elrond as his lord. They're in different political circles. Right. Um, But still, um, this uh, this seems to me, um, uh, I think, as I said, a, a really excellent description of how things work there. Okay. All right. Um, yes, the dude abides in Imladris. That is exactly what we see there. 
Okay. Oh, but uh, sorry, the final point as for Elvish servants. Um, yeah, no, there are totally Elvish servants. I mean, this we see most clearly in The Hobbit, admittedly, because it's in The Hobbit that we get most contact with blue-collar elves, right? Uh, the barrel elves, the raftmen of the king, who are not men but elves, right? Um, we 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 definitely spend much more time among the working class of the elf uh, world in The Hobbit than we do really anywhere in The Lord of the Rings. Um, but... Um, Anyway, yeah, I, I, you know, what is that exactly like? I don't know. Like, do they get wages? Ugh. It's a little hard for me to imagine. You know, this gets into big, like, you know, I don't want to really get into, like, political economy and the elves, right? Though it's an interesting question. Um, it's hard for me to imagine the elves living in a monetary economy, really, you know, um, I mean, like what do you, uh, um, uh, do you, do you get, um, you know, like elf, like elf servants who get wages and, 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 and what do you have to give a cost of living increase every year for like a hundred thousand years, you know, like, do you save up for retirement as an elf? You know, like, how does that work? I, I, I just, um, the only thing we have to go, the only firsthand examples we get of this kind of thing is um, the barrel elves. And you know, one thing that we can see about the barrel elves, they love their job, Right. I mean, those barrel elves are having a heck of a time. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think. I don't know. Um, Trifle suggests that we have a, a sort of a medieval great chain of being idea going on here, and I think we do. I think that's true. Um, I'm just sorry. I'm just. I'm trying to imagine the life of an elvish servant, right? Um, and all I keep coming back to is that every elvish servant we meet seems to be really happy, right? I mean, even think about the people who come and bring food to the hobbits in Woodhall, right? Among Gilders people. Um, Here's a jewel among hobbits, right? Uh, that that I don't think. Yeah, Tolkien does see value and honor in service. Tony, I agree. Um, uh, yeah, I, I. I don't know. I certainly don't want to get too distracted into talking about the economy of Middle Earth. Um, I'm not saying that it isn't a topic that's interesting to discuss. I am just saying that I'm not a very good one to discuss it because if there is one academic discipline, uh, uh, that I am very largely ignorant about it's economics. Uh, that was always like, uh, my, uh, my Achilles heel of all academic disciplines. Uh, I could take an interest in almost every academic discipline, but I always, I could never really take an interest in economics. Anyway, um, so yeah, 
what is the ser- the what is the master servant relationship like? Is there really a master servant relationship? Is that exactly how it works among the elves? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I tend not to think so. Uh, that it would be exactly. Like, I, I don't think that what we have is just uh, you know someone was talking about you know upstairs downstairs the elvish version. That's exactly what I would expect not to see really. Um, the kind of upstairs downstairs difference that uh, you know that we get in you know like uh, traditional slightly older British society. Um, I can't see that same kind of distinction going on. Um, no, I wouldn't think there would be a barrel rollers union um, uh, unless you count them getting together, you know, to sing barrel rolling songs and bake bannocks or something. Um, but uh, anyway, this I, I could we, we could talk about this stuff for a long time. This is really kind of like a film film sort of question. Uh, where when we're trying to do world building in the film film project and, and kind of work out some of these things and think up some satisfying solutions that fit the evidence that we see in the text, uh, it's uh, it's really fun. But I don't think that's what we should be doing. I, I, th- I think I need to restrain myself uh, from, from doing that here. So that's a big... Um, that's a big... This is a big question. And there's a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of ways that we could talk about this. But I'm going to stop talking about this now. So one day we shall have this conversation for Thoughtless, but it is not this day. Totally agree. Okay. I have an idea. Let's talk about the next paragraph. Okay, so this is the one that I wanted to start talking about, but then I resisted it at the end of class last time. Um... Glorfindel has just heard about the wound and we just talked about the uh, the writing that he sees and that he suspects Aragorn doesn't see on the hilt of the weapon and everything. He searched the wound on Frodo's shoulder with his fingers and his face grew graver as if what he learned disquieted him. But Frodo felt the chill lessen in his side and arm. A little warmth crept down from his shoulder to his hand and the pain grew easier. The dusk of evening seemed to grow lighter about him as if a cloud had been withdrawn. He saw his friends' faces more clearly again, and a measure of new hope and strength returned. "'You shall ride my horse,' said Glorfindel. "'I will shorten the stirrups up to the saddle skirts, and you must sit as tight as you can. But you need not fear. My horse will not let any rider fall that I command him to bear. His pace is light and smooth, and if danger presses too near, he will bear you away with a speed that even the black steeds of the enemy cannot rival.' "'No, he will not,' said Frodo. I shall not ride him if I am to be carried off to Rivendell or anywhere else, leaving my friends behind in danger. Glorfindel smiled. I doubt very much, he said, if your friends would be in danger if you were not with them. The pursuit would follow you and leave us in peace, I think. It is you, Frodo, and that which you bear, which brings us all into peril. Okay. Um... <laughs> Curita says, searched the wound with his fingers makes me wince every time. Uh, I don't think that that means he's actually like jabbing his fingers into Frodo's open wound. Um, but uh, uh, searching a wound with one's hands, that's a very... Um, and Matt Valis, I know the, the wound is closed, but he's 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 touching it, right? He's he's palpating it. This is a very I, I, people do this all the time. Uh, search 
people's wounds. Um, in fact, Karita, a little spoiler. Uh, if that makes you cringe, wait until you get to uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 poor knight Sir Ure uh, in uh, Maori in the later section. The wounded knight who comes to court uh, because only like a special prophesied knight can heal him. He can his wounds will only be healed if his wounds are searched by the correct knight. So it's kind of like when Balin was trying when they were all trying to draw the sword out of the scabbard and Sir Balin was able to do it. Um, but only only the the correct knight if he searches the wounds with his hands uh, will be able to heal the guy. So this guy's been going around from court to court having everybody handle his wounds and he's not died of sepsis yet. Um, anyhow, uh, it's, it's gonna it's it's, it's fun. It's a great scene. I love that scene, actually. Um, but um, so him searching the wound, I think it's important that he's physically touching it, right? Because we get two things here. We, 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 we get his his physical touching of the wound, right? So he's, he's uh, coming into contact with Frodo and with Frodo's wound. And you can tell something is happening there, like at the wound site, something is happening. Physically, right? Because the warmth that moves through Frodo extends from the shoulder to his hand, right? He feels the chill lessen in his side and arm. Um, and uh, the, um, um, the, 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 the warmth seems to be coming through. So it's, it is as if there is something that's being directly transmitted through his touch, right? So touch seems to be important. I don't think that he's searching the wound in a purely clinical sense, right? Sam, exactly. He's not just being like, does this hurt? How about this? Right? Yeah, no, that's not what, uh, that's not what he's doing. Um, but I do think that his, his, his touching is, is important. He's doing something, right? Something is happening. Um, but Zeph and I absolutely agree. The other thing that we see, we see both things happening, both a physical impact and a spiritual impact. You could argue that all of it is a spiritual impact, even the warmth and the cold. The cold that we've been seeing seems to be a physical symptom that is associated with the domination of the will of, you know, the evil will of the witch king, the evil power of the wound, right? That is infecting Frodo's shoulder. Um, uh, and and his chest inside as well, right? But certainly the end of that, I absolutely agree, Zephan is very clear, right? Um, it's not just that he sees his friends' faces more clearly again. It is also that a measure of new hope and strength returned. He has received a little spiritual infusion from Gorfindel, right? Um, this is, uh, uh, there, there is definitely a spiritual impact. It's, it's almost, it's like... Um, I know it's almost like the injected version of what Aragorn gives them by singing in the dell, right? Um, uh, But Tony, I too is very interested that Gorfindel does not sing or chant. I honestly sort of would expect him to under the circumstances. Um, And that's interesting. Arden Crayon is wondering if there is some sense in which uh, Gorfindel is drawing the, the power out from Frodo, even taking it into himself. We don't see any positive uh, um, uh, we don't see any positive evidence of that, do we? Him experience Gorfindel experiencing pain? Um, yeah, not really sure. Um, but uh, yeah, um, 
but as I say, I do think it's interesting that he doesn't that he doesn't sing. Um, Tony is wondering if he's graduated beyond that. Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, you know, Luke. I wonder if uh, Luke says the evil can't abide the good, and so it withdraws slightly. Right. Um, uh, yeah, like the black riders withdrew from the bridge. Right when he uh, when he when he came. Um, and uh, Arden Crayon, uh, Glorfindel does grimace, but he, but that that's before, right? He grimaces when he's holding the weight. Does he grimace here? I don't think he's grimacing here. Um, I think his grimace was when he took the knife. Um, so the knife affected him. But uh, um, his face is growing graver. That's all that we get, Tony. Um, but that seems to reflect him gaining information and Cecilia, I think it was Cecilia who just posted about that. Yeah. He's his, the, the word search is important right there. Um, it doesn't only just describe his physically touching the wound, right? It also, um, there's, he's gaining information, right? He's, he's, he's diagnosing here. He's treating, but he's also diagnosing here. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Matt is arguing that Gorfindel is sending out rather than drawing in from the wound. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. Certainly, Matt, I agree with you. The light and darkness imagery that we get, right? The shadows are closing in around Frodo and the shadows pull back some, right? Uh, when Gorfindel comes, um, the warmth, he feels the warmth radiating down. It doesn't He's not sucking it out like it doesn't just recede from where it's, you know, it's like, well, his chest is a little better, though the, the arm and shoulder are still dead, right? No, the warmth comes down from the shoulder to the arm. It is like he's pushing something in instead of pulling something out. I agree. Um, yeah, um, I, I agree. Arden, Arden Crayon, his face growing graver is like the, 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 the elf version of the doctor frowning at your test results. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that does seem to be what it's, what it's like. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. No, again, several of you are thinking about, uh, you know, again, darkness and light and, and, uh, uh, you know, shadow not being able to stand before the light. That is true. Though, uh, notice Gorfindel has already said he can't, you know, alas, the wounds, just when he's holding the knife, he's like, I don't got this, right? I can't heal the wound, uh, that's caused by this, by this knife. Um, but, um, Anyway, yeah, he he uh, he is able to infuse some positive things into Frodo, but that seems it seems to combat the effect of the wound. The shadows recede, right? He sees his friends' faces more clearly. The new measure of hope that, and that, by the way, seems to be almost like two different ways um, to express the same thing. Right. Um, it's significant, I think, that both when this shadow is described earlier on and when it's described as receding here is about his friends faces. Right. It's not just that he can't see the trees and stuff and he can't see his own hand or anything like that. It's not just about the obscuring of his vision. It is about that, but it's not just that. Right. Um, the thing that is commented on is that this shadow is coming between him and his friends. He is being isolated. He is being cut off from his spiritual support as well. Right. 
um yeah he is buying frodo time tony um and he is treating the symptoms but can't solve the underlying problem for thalos absolutely it's going to come back right the shadows are going to return the cold uh, you know the the warmth isn't going to stay right he's not solving the problem but what i i said transfusion before and i said it uh rather lightly at the time actually but the more i think about that the more uh the, the the more apt, actually, I'm kind of thinking that metaphor is. It's like somebody who is losing a lot of blood, right? And you uh, you hook them up to an IV and you 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 give them a few units, right, of blood to help replace some of the blood that they've missed. But you know the wound is st- you're still working on the wound, right? The wound is still open, um, so they're still losing. I mean, it's going to help. Right, it's gonna it's gonna keep them from from uh, from bleeding out while you're still operating or before the the wound can be properly treated, uh, but but it's not it's not gonna solve the problem, right? That does seem to be a spiritual version of that kind of uh, blood transfusion is seems to be what Glorfindel is uh, is doing here. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. And that's interesting, Archimago. Um, and hey, I don't think I've seen you for a while. I don't remember saying your name uh, in a while. Uh, one of my favorite names. Uh, I love obscure Edmund Spencer names. Doesn't get better than that. Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, Archimago says the effect of Gorfindel's touch on Frodo seems to be secondary to the primary, presumably diagnostic intent. At least we don't see Gorfindel give Frodo regular laying on hands treatments. Yeah, you know, I wonder. Um, I wonder if that's. Uh, uh, um, uh, exactly, Marion, he's given Frodo a palliative. It's kind of like that. But yeah, uh, if I agree with you, Archimago. What he's doing, the searching is the important thing. It's not treatment, right? Uh, primarily, he's diagnosing, right? He's searching the wound and his face is growing grave as with what he's seeing there, right? Um, but he's not, um, I agree, this is not like, you know, yeah, I'll come back, just like I'll, you know, I'll come back and I'll give you a unit of blood every X number, you know, Q2 or whatever. That's not exactly what he's doing. Sorry, getting into the medical terminology. Um I've been living in a medical household for decades, so uh, I, I I do that sometimes. Um, but um, anyway, but, but it does seem to be at least a, a a sort of positive side effect, and I'm sure one that he sort of knows as well. Um, I do suspect that his this kind of spiritual infusion is at least a secondary, if not a, a sort of a joint goal of his. I agree that his primary purpose seems diagnostic, um, but. Uh, uh, nevertheless, he's Ambrose is really honest. You want to do a Mythgard class on the Fairy Queen? What because the because the Mallory class isn't long enough? Is that, is that why you want to see if you can if you can nominate a book that'll take me a full year and a half to 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 get through? Okay, yeah, that'd be good. Um, <laughs> anyway, it'd be awesome. I mean, I love the Fairy Queen. I wrote my undergraduate thesis on the Fairy Queen. I I uh, I mean, it's one of my fa- Edmund Spencer's verse is so beautiful so much fun but anyway that's not what we're talking about right now um uh blue wizard is asking if he could somehow be moving the shard Mm, i'm not sure 
I don't think so. Um, he has said he doesn't have power uh, over the wound. Like, you know, he the wound is, wound is beyond his power to heal. I don't think he can affect the shard. And in fact, later on, we'll learn that. I don't think they're even aware that there's a shard there exactly yet, uh, perhaps. Um, again, we'll get to that actually relatively soon now. Um, but um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so I don't think it's anything that, that particular. And I do think that uh, if he were drawing it, out if you were sucking it towards him then it would have I, I would think it would be a different effect on Frodo not that kind of injection of warmth uh, and hope that he's feeling there let's get to the second paragraph there you shall ride my horse this is Gorfindel's reaction to his diagnostic effort right he's seen the knife so he's already he's like I already know Right, that we need to get this guy on an ambulance, right? And so that's what the horse is. You shall ride my horse. Um, there's a possibility here that I'd never really considered before. I uh, before this past time, this is my 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 sort of new idea that that just kind of came to me. And like most of my new ideas, I'm sure it will be one that half of you have had all along, right? And you're like, oh, he, he never thought of that before. That's what usually happens. But um, uh, he, why does he put Frodo on Asphaloth? Why does he put Frodo on his horse? Obviously, I'm not questioning that his, his goal is to make sure that Frodo has the fastest transportation should the ringwraiths catch up with him so that he can get away, right? Um, but, uh, here's the other thing. You shall ride my horse. I will shorten the stirrups up to the saddle skirts and you must sit as tight as you can, but you need not fear. My horse will not let any rider fall that I command him to bear. His pace is light and smooth, and if danger presses too near, he will bear you away at a speed that even the black steeds of the enemy cannot rival. I agree that his pace, his pace is light and smooth is important, right? Um, for Thoughtless, I wonder, is that intended for Sam? Right? Is he, is he, is he trying to reassure Sam? Like, remember Sam getting all angry? Like, hey, you know, he, my master is sick and wounded. And he's like, hey, he's going to be better off here. Right. He'll have a smoother ride here than he will anywhere else. Smoother than on Bill. No offense, Bill. And certainly better than walking. So um, uh, don't worry. JJ thinks that that's just going to tick Sam off even more as he's going to leap to the defense of Bill. Uh, maybe. Maybe. But here's the phrase that really jumped out at me um, uh, when I read this this past time. If danger presses too near, he will bear you away at a speed that even the black steeds. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say if danger presses too near, uh, you can get him to take you away. Right? No, it's the horse who's going to be making the call. Right? Frodo shall be borne away by the horse at a speed that even the black steeds of the enemy cannot rival parentheses and which Frodo cannot stop. Right. Um, what if Frodo tries to escape? The horse won't let him escape. Right. Um, no, 
no rider will fall that he commands him to bear, right? That is, I wonder, after searching the wound, I think that he has exactly, as Philoth is a self-driving vehicle, right? There you go. He has fulfilled the dreams of Silicon Valley right there. Um, uh, and Marianne, yes, he, Glorfindel, can communicate to Asphaloth, right? So Glorfindel is going to be in charge there. Um, JJ, I think he may be worried that Frodo isn't going to maintain consciousness the whole way. Um, worse, though, I think um, what he's worried about is that Frodo might not be driving the bus the whole way. Um, what if Frodo begins to succumb to the wound? What if exactly, Mad Violinist, that what if Frodo is suborned? What if Frodo comes under the domination of the enemy? If he if he does if he does, he could go and join. He could flee from them. They could be working against Frodo himself in trying to save the ring from the Black Riders. So, what's the best situation possible here? Get him on the back of the elf horse, who is going to take him willy-nilly, right, to use it in the old Middle English sense, will he, nil he, whether he wills or not, right? He will be taken across the ford. And to, if, if Glorfindel says the word, uh, you know, which of course he's going to do, one of my favorite Elvish phrases, right, where he says, giddy up in Elvish, right? Um, he, if when he says the word, then the horse will take him. No matter what Frodo tries to do, right? The horse, it will then be Asphaloth's job to get the ring uh, to Rivendell. Uh, and they won't have to go chasing after Frodo. Um, Street jacket and transportation all in one. Exactly. Evil Dr. Cannon. How convenient, right? Um, uh, and Mad Violinist, you're, uh, you're right. Um, uh in the end, it does require Gorfindel's command to overcome Frodo's reluctance, right? We will see that. We will see the struggle, the tipping point that Frodo's will is at, right? Um, so uh, exactly, Tony. Frodo is exactly like Mina Harker. Uh, it's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, but um, anyway, uh, let's... Um, let's... We'll, we'll, we'll think... Questions about the Ford. Hang on, everybody. Right? Let's rein in the horse here. Nobody. I, okay, I did say giddy up, but I didn't mean you. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Karina says back to my soapbox on how this whole story is about the heroism of horses and ponies. And Karina, I still think Tolkien is throughout the Lord of the Rings trying to make it up to the horses of England, uh, right. Uh, for, for, uh, for, for the hideous slaughter of ponies, uh, that happened throughout, uh, throughout the, uh, the Hobbit, right. Um, all of those, all of those horses that were killed in the Hobbit, but they're getting justice done to them in the Lord of the Rings. This is, it's their turn now. Um, anyway, um, uh, okay. So, so yeah, I, 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 I said that never really occurred to me before. I mean, I, I, I'd always kind of just taken him, uh, you know, if danger presses too near, again, he, I, I never really noticed the emphasis there. If danger presses too near, you can escape on, on him, right? Is not what he says. Um, uh, what he says is, uh, if danger presses too near, he will bear you away. He doesn't make any kind of threat here, 
right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't make a threat with that. Um, but it, it's interestingly kind of packaged in. And, and to me, what really brings that home to me is the juxtaposition with the previous one. He's just diagnosed the wound, right? And his face is looking grave, right? I am sh- certain, I am certain that at this moment, Gorfindel knows what's at stake here. Gorfindel knows how close, you know, Sam says, my master is sick and wounded, right? And Gorfindel has got to be like, you don't know the half of it, right? This is much worse. Now, Aragorn has suspected, right? He has suspected that the enemy thinks that Frodo has a wound that will subdue him to their will, right? Um, Sure, Gorfindel has just... But I think that Gorfindel has seen that a little bit more directly. And I think that he... Aragorn has deduced that. Right? Gorfindel, I think, can just as Frodo can perceive the light from Gorfindel shining through the form and raiment of Gorfindel, so I think Gorfindel can look at Frodo and be like, Woo, something right here. Right? Um, this is this is seriously not good, right? Um, this is a patient in spiritually critical condition. Um and 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 he knows what the outcome is gonna be. Death is not what they have to fear. Right. Frodo collapsing dead off the horse. Not the worry. The worry is Frodo steering the horse to go ride back to the Black Riders. Right. Um, <laughs> Gorfindel's telling Aragorn, according to JJ, uh, dude, we have code pale. Code pale. Yeah. No, that's it. That's it. It's definitely a code pale. And what do you do for a cold? I mean, somebody calls a code pale. You just put the person on an elf horse, right? And send them riding off. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Crownless, I, I agree. This, uh, it, it, it is really interesting to imagine what Gorfindel sees when he looks at Frodo. Um, yeah. A faded form, I wonder. Yeah. A dark shadow pulsing in his in in his shoulder. Yeah, I would think that he would have to be able to see the sort of spiritual battleground in Frodo's own flesh and and in his own will. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I do think that his putting Gorfindel on the back of uh, um, him putting Frodo on the back of, of, of his horse is a protective uh, it's protective in more than one sense, right? Um, Frodo, I shall not ride him if I am to be carried off to Rivendell or anyone out, anywhere else, leaving my friends behind in danger. Carita, I agree with what you said before. This is really cute, right? Um, the the sort of good-hearted but um, uh, fairly misguided uh, 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 sentiment of Frodo here is is kind of cute right and eternal cow eternal cow by the way that's a pretty good screen name eternal cow uh uh uh, frodo does kind of remind you of sam here right with that sort of it's like he not thinking it right being saying something bold and and devoted but not clearly thought through right that is kind of samish isn't it um and yeah i don't know Marianne is interested in in how it is that the horse can prevent a rider from falling off, right? Uh, I don't know. Remember, Gandalf is going to say something similar about Shadowfax, and Shadowfax isn't wearing a saddle at all, so I don't think it can be something about Elvish saddles in particular. Um, 
Uh, you know, I don't really, um, I'm not sure how Asphaloth is meant to affect that. Um, he will not let any, oh, that was Cecilia's comment. Sorry, Marianne. Again, the, the one problem I have with our, with our interface there is that I get your comments, but I don't get them briefly and then they disappear. So sometimes I'm like, oh, what? Someone was saying something and I miss it or I miss the name. Um, yeah, it's, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Um, you can tie people to saddles, Mudmore. I agree, but it doesn't look like he is. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Oakley says the horse is a ring bearer bearer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And of course, Frodo is going to fall in the end. Um, uh, well, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We're not there yet. Um, uh, yeah. Gorfindel's smile is kind, right? Um, I doubt very much if your friends would be in danger if you were not with them. And of course, the thing that is particularly poignant about Gorfindel's statement there is that it echoes Frodo's own sentiments from earlier on, right? Why he has, on several occasions doubted whether it was a good idea, whether he was even justified um, uh, in uh, uh, whether he was even justified in uh, uh, bringing people with him, right? Because he was bringing them all into danger, right? Uh, So it's interesting that he is sort of gently being reminded of that. Luke is saying uh, his uncle uh, said that good horses like rodeo trained horses and stuff would uh, uh, be able to do a really great job of keeping their riders on so you wouldn't even have to hold on. Um, I, I don't doubt the horse has some contribution to make to this. As before, this will not be the first time that I am ready to um, uh, 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 to give way to explanations from the equestrians among us. I am not an equestrian, uh, so I do not speak of what I know when I'm speaking about horse things. So horse people who are listening, you can tell me uh, how much uh, uh, how much control Asphaloth might be expected to be able to have over whether or not somebody is falling off his back. Um, but um, the pursuit would follow you and leave us in peace, I think. It is you, Frodo, and that which you bear that brings us all in peril. That which you bear. Gorfindel probably knows about the Ring of Power. Probably. Gandalf has probably told Elrond, at least that seems to be how uh, Tolkien constructs it after the fact in Unfinished Tales. Um, Glorfindel would probably um, Glorfindel would probably um, be in Elrond's confidence, so it seems possible. All I would say is I don't think that that sentence is absolute proof that Glorfindel knows exactly what it is. Um, I don't think there's absolute proof there. Um, probably. Um, yeah, as uh, Evil Dr. Cannon there, it is you and that which you bear. Um, Evil Dr. Cannon is suggesting that he's he's definitely thinking about the possibilities of Frodo wraithifying there. Um, 
Yeah. Um, all Garfindel would need to know in order to make that statement is that Frodo is bearing something important that the enemy wants badly, right? He knows there's a thing, right? Even Gildor figured that out, right? Uh, he, Frodo is, is out there bearing a, a, a great burden without guidance, right? And I'm pretty sure Gildor didn't know what it was exactly, right? But he could tell there was something, right? Frodo has something. The Black Riders are hunting for it. He doesn't know what he's doing, right? Gildor could figure that out uh, by meeting him, right? Glorfindel knows Frodo's bearing something. He doesn't necessarily have to... Uh, um, he doesn't necessarily have to know exactly what um, uh, exactly what it is. Um, singing fox is asking if Glorfindel could see it. No, no, singing fox. I bet you, if Frodo is on the slopes of Mount Doom and met Gorfindel. If Gorfindel were hanging out on the slopes of Mount Doom as Frodo and Sam are trudging and crawling up the side of the mountain, I bet Gorfindel could see it then. I bet Gorfindel would see the Wheel of Fire, right? Um, when it had gotten to that point, I suspect that its kind of spiritual signature, right, would be significantly plain uh, for Gorfindel to perceive, but I doubt he can perceive it here. Um, yeah. Tony suggests they would all know that Frodo owns a ring and they suspect it is the ring. Possibly. Possibly. Um, Trifle points out that, of course, the great eye totally misses it, to which I would respond, great eye ain't looking. That's the point. Uh, had the great eye been scrutinizing uh, carefully. This, by the way, is my least favorite part of the Peter Jackson Mount Doom sequence, which in general I like quite a lot. Um, and the climb up Mount Doom, I think, is exceptionally well done. The part I hate, though, is when, like, the red light goes across and they're all like, oh, throw yourself down as if that's going to help at that point, right? Um, the whole point is that, you know, the, uh, the, the light of Sauron's attention is not directed that way. Um, yeah, that's that. I always, I'm always like, seriously, why did we have to go there? Um, but anyhow, um, <laughs> JJ, I know Gorfindel hanging out on the slopes of Mount Doom, not lifting a finger to help, it would be, presumably, if he were there, he would help out. But if he were there, he'd, I think, probably be able to see the ring. Um, anyway, I, right, okay. <laughs> so not talking anymore about Mount Doom right now. Uh, we still do have a little bit of a ways to go before we get there. Um, anyway, so I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily arguing that Gorfindel doesn't know. He might. I, I would have no objection to that. I don't think there's any reason to really suspect uh, that he doesn't know that Frodo has the Ring of Power. He might be one of the very few in the know about that. I'm just saying I don't think that him saying that which you bear this is again. This is a mistake I think that we often make um, when um, people make elliptical comments like that, and we assume that it means that they know everything. It doesn't necessarily mean that they know everything. Sometimes, um, sometimes it just means. Sometimes it just means that they. Um, sometimes they mean it quite literally, right? That which you bear. 
I'm not saying that which you bear, wink, wink, right? You and I know what it is, right? He just, he literally doesn't know. And he's saying, you're bearing something. Whatever it is, that's the thing that's bringing us into peril, right? I know that much, right? Um, he might, yeah, um, he might mean just that. So, again, sometimes we take the, uh, that to be knowing. The most extreme example of this that I can think of is Faramir, right? Faramir says that he suspected that Isildur, Isildur took somewhat from the hand, uh, uh, you know, of Sauron, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, so like, what did he take from his hand, right? So then when Faramir acts all surprised, like Sam has spilled the beans, and I'm like, wait, didn't he just, doesn't he know? Didn't he say, right? But no, when Faramir says that, he doesn't know, right? He means literally what he says. Like, he took something from the hand of Sauron. I don't know what it was, right? Um, and then he's all like, holy cow, the Ring of Rings? No way, right? It's, we'll get there. But um, but again, sometimes when people say something kind of cryptic and suggestive, they just mean it exactly what they, uh, what they, what they said um again gildor doesn't mean gildor's not speaking in code he's bearing a great burden without guidance that's all i got people i got i figured out there was a burden and i could easily tell he had no guidance so uh you know uh that's what i know again it's not this is not a, a wink wink nudge nudge kind of situation um anyway yeah don't worry we'll get to faramir oh and and i mean Faramir is practically around the corner. Um, okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'll live long enough to get to Mount Doom. I, I suspect so. <laughs> let's, let's all hope my, my health holds out and that we all make it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Anyway, yeah, let's hope we don't have to have a memorial service for those participants in the class who died of old age before we got to the end uh, of our discussion here. Oh, man. Anyway, okay. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Okay. Um, hey, let's do the next slide. What do you think? Okay. Haste. That's what it's all about. To that Frodo had no answer, and he was persuaded to mount Gorfindel's white horse. The pony was laden instead with a great part of the other's burdens, so that they now marched lighter, and for a time made good speed. But the hobbits began to find it hard to keep up with the swift, tireless feet of the elf. On he led them, into the mouth of darkness, and still on, under the deep, clouded night. There was neither star nor moon. Not until the gray of dawn did he allow them to halt. Pippin, Merry, and Sam were by that time nearly asleep on their stumbling legs, and even Strider seemed by the sag of his shoulders to be weary. Frodo sat upon the horse in a dark dream. They cast themselves down in the heather a few yards from the roadside and fell asleep immediately. They seemed hardly to have closed their eyes when Glorfindel, who had set himself to watch while they slept, awoke them again. The sun had now climbed far into the morning, and the clouds and mists of the night were gone. Drink this, said Gorfindel to them, pouring for each in turn a little liquor from his silver-studded flask of leather. It was clear as spring water, and had no taste, and it did not feel either cool or warm in the mouth, but strength and vigor seemed to flow into all their limbs as they drank it. 
eaten after that draught, the stale bread and dried fruit, which was now all that they had left, seemed to satisfy their hunger better than many a good breakfast in the Shire had done. Okay. Um, another mysterious beverage, uh, Bielver, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. This seems to be... Um, is this Miravor? Tony and Bruinier are asking. We're not told. We would have to compare it. Yeah, Blue Wizard, I was thinking of brandy as well, right? Quick, fetch the brandy. Um, uh, one thing we. So is this the same as. Um, uh, is this the same as the Miravor they're going to get in Karathras? Uh, is this the cordial of Imladris? Maybe. Uh, that seems very likely, really, that it is. One thing we know is that it's not the same as whatever it was that the elves put in their bottles, uh, in, in their in their water bottles, right? I love. We, I don't think we made quite enough, uh, laid quite enough emphasis on the fact that um, uh that when they left the elves in Woodall, the Woodall, the, the, the elves filled all of their water bottles with booze, right? right? Like you won't need any water where you where, where are. And we're just going to throw away all your water and replace it all with, with booze, right? That's, that's the plan. <laughs> okay. Um, it's true, JJ, they were walking, not driving. So it was okay. Um, yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I missed the name again. I couldn't see whether it was Cecilia or Marianne. Um, uh, was pointing out that that Miravor is called fragrant, and this is apparently odorless or tasteless. Um, I was also going to say that um, I was also going to say that the Miravor warmed them, whereas this feels neither warm nor cool. That though, you could say, well being cold was their problem. And so in as much as it was healing and helping them, it was warming them up, right? That was what they needed at that point when they were all risking freezing to death. Um, but, um, uh, you know, but, but I, I, I think that, um, uh, uh, you could still make the argument that it's, that it's different. We'll have to, we'll have to compare. It is fairly striking that it is, um, it has no taste. Well, it doesn't say it doesn't have a smell explicitly. Um, <laughs> Elvish iocane powder. <laughs> uh, what you do not smell is, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Aurelius Ambrosianus is, or Ambrosius Aurelianus is thinking that there are probably several different types of craft miravor from various elfish microbreweries. Yeah, that's that. I think that's that's the explanation I favor here. Yeah, yeah. Gorfindel has his own still, where he makes his special miravor, and his uh, is colorless and tasteless. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Glorfindel could very well be a home brewer, Tony. That seems quite likely. Um, yeah, so, um, yep, yep. 
I think it is different, but it seems to be of the same uh, sort of variety, right? Um, notice that one thing that's interesting to me here is how um, how prevailingly spiritual the emphasis has been. That is, what they've needed is hope. Um, they keep getting, whether it's Aragorn trying to encourage them, whether it's, you know, the fun that they have in the troll glade, whether it's, uh, uh, again, you know, the sort of the infusion from the hands of Gorfindel here, it's, uh, um, bringing, um, uh, bringing, bringing hope. It's, it's buoying their spirits. That's what they need. The effect of this liquor, it doesn't describe the effect on their spirits. It's almost entirely physical. Right, um, uh, strength and vigor flows into their limbs as they drink it. It's not—it's not their hearts that are encouraged, right? It's—it's um, it's their limbs that are strengthened by this liquor, and it has an effect on the food and how satisfying and sustaining the food was, right? Um, so yeah, this is clearly a stimulant. So it's not like the booze that, that was put into their bottles, right? Which was colored as well as golden, right? Um, but, um, anyway, it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting to me that no description of their spirits or heart is mentioned here. Um, uh, which I think is, I don't know. It's just interesting to me. Um, and possibly explaining why Gorfindel didn't give a dose to Frodo right away, which was a question I had often asked. Right? Oh, if he had the magic, if he, you know, if he, if he was carrying a a big old, you know, uh, flask of potions of healing, right? Why didn't he give a sip to Frodo immediately, right? In part of the, you know, the healing process. Um, and um, the answer, I suspect, is that it's that's not what he needs, right? Um, it's those who are doing the walking that need this particular draft. Um, yeah. Yeah. Arden Crayon, that's a really good question. Arden Crayon says, why is Gorfindel even keeping the party together? Why is his response not to just to take Frodo on the horse with him? Like stay on his horse, pick up Frodo and ride off with him. Like Arwen does in the movie. Right. Um, It's an excellent question. I I think two there are two things that seem to me to be relevant here. One is he's not Bloxman <laughs> said it would be rude to split them up for one. Um yeah, Mad Violinist, you guys are thinking, yeah, and Marianne, several of you are saying uh, similar kind of things. Trifle was saying the same thing. Um, that d- taking Frodo away from his spiritual support here is uh, perhaps contraindicated, as Mad Violinist says. Yeah, because Sam wouldn't allow it, says Blue Wizard. Also true. Uh yeah, so th- there are two, two, two ways that I, the two answers I would give to that. The first would be yes, like who knows what exactly the effect on Frodo would be. 
um, it could have a bad effect on Frodo. And given that Frodo is teetering on the brink, um, uh, it would be tough, right? The second um, question, the, the second answer would be, he says that he thinks the Black Riders would leave the rest of them in peace and pursue Frodo, right? But he doesn't know. Um, and I think that he would not feel right about abandoning Aragorn and the other three hobbits to be overtaken by the Black Riders who are almost certainly coming along the road behind them, right? Yes, Aragorn could take the other three hobbits and hide in the woods, but still, I mean, they still have to get to Rivendell eventually, right? So, um, yeah, uh, uh, Guirendi's in the Twitch chat says, Frodo isn't the only one that Gorfindel is helping here. Yeah, I don't think that Gorfindel... You know, that decision to say, like, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? Saving Frodo is more important. If we've got to, if we've got to, you know, sacrifice the other three hobbits and even Aragorn in order to save Frodo, it'll be worth it. Uh, it has not come to the point where Gorfindel's gonna, gonna, gonna do that kind of calculus, right? And even if it were at that point, it is not obvious to me that Gorfindel would choose to sacrifice the others in order to try to save Frodo. That's not really how people, how the good guys usually think, uh, in Tolkien, but, um, and JJ, that is another good point. Uh, Gorfindel knows the nine are likely to head to the Ford. It'll be easier to resist them, uh, as a group, uh, than just the two of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, and it's, you know, it's true that, um, uh, I wonder if he perceives or suspects. He's heard their story. They've told the story, right? I wonder what Gorfindel thinks of the story of the attack under Weathertop, right? Um, the Witch King and four of his riders, four of the other Nazgul, surrounded us, right? They were right there. They had us dead to rights in the Dell under Weathertop. They attacked and they ran the heck away. And they have not bothered us since. Right. That's the story they just heard. And remember, Aragorn was like, why they do not attack again? I do not. I, I, I cannot tell. I wonder if Gorfindel is wondering. Right. Um, as counterintuitive as it might seem on the surface, Gorfindel may just possibly be thinking, you know, having a bunch of these hobbits around with us might be handy. You know, if it if we've got a, he clearly is not sure that he can face the nine alone, all nine, in one place, right? Three or four were clearly fine, right? But if it was all nine of them against him, and Frodo's not going to be any help, right? In his current state, it could, of course, he could be the opposite of help uh, if it came to a conflict uh, at this point. Um, is Gorfindel thinking it might be nice to have backup, right? These five who have already uh, resisted five of the Nazgul. Five on five, and they took him, right? Uh, five, ho- you know, four hobbits plus Aragorn plus me, right? And my horse, right? Against all nine black riders. I like those odds better. It, I, you know, it's possible that that's what, what Corfindo was thinking. And JJ, I agree. Hobbits scare Nazgul. Confirmed. Absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah, hobbits are like not Nazgul kryptonite, right? I mean, that's that's I think I, I think we're establishing that here clearly. And does Gorfindel perceive that? Does he suspect that? Maybe he does. Maybe he does. Um, uh, yeah, the idea, and again, I, I will admit this is something I have, I, another thing I haven't ever really thought about before, is Gorfindel really thinking of them not just as other charges to be protected, but potentially as backup, if, if push comes to shove, right? Um, it's it's possible. It's possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony says Gorfindel might be thinking along the same lines as Gandalf, trusting to their friendship rather than to great power or to great wisdom, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Matt says Glorfindel might also recognize the knives that the hobbits carry. It's Remember that it was glowing red, right, to the Nazgul. Uh, maybe he sees it glowing red, too, and he's like, hmm, actually, yes, we've, we, we, we may have some actually seriously effective anti-Nazgul infantry here, right? Um, uh, they're short, but they pack a wallop. It sounds like I'm joking, right? But it could actually, it could really actually be true. Um, yeah, I think that that's entirely possible. I think it's entirely possible. Finn reminds us that he is also the one who had the vision, right? The foresight about the Witch King being killed, not by the hands of a man, right? So yeah, Finn, is he doing that math there? Is he looking at it? He's like, huh, look at this. We've got, we've got four anti-Nazgul weapons in the hands of four non-men, right? This could, this could really pan out, right? This, this, this really could. Um, Ardent Crayon, that is also a thought, I think, that works in a couple different ways, right? Uh, Ardent Crayon has said, what about the possibility of using other hobbits as decoys? Now, we have precedent for this. In one of the advanced drafts, one of the later drafts uh, of the Fellowship of the Ring, Tolkien had Gandalf using a hobbit. It was Odo. It was the last appearance of, of Odo uh, before Odo Boffin vanished for good. Uh, Odo Bulger. So I know he was a Bulger, wasn't he? He wasn't a Boffin. He was a Bulger. Um, before Odo vanished for good, his last uh, role in the story was Gandalf brought him from the Shire to serve as a decoy. He was, he like let it be known that he was carrying his Hobbit friend Baggins here, right on his horse with him to Rivendell so that the black riders would try to capture him. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that idea is definitely out there, right? Could Gorfindel be thinking of that as well? I mean, and again, to me, that's something that cuts two different ways. On the one hand, they'd be useful to have along, right? Because, you know, you could do a scatter drill, like the Black Riders are coming. Every all Four hobbits all run off in different directions, right? That gives, and then I'll stay with Frodo, so that'll give everybody the best chance. Um, but the other, um, the other way that I say that that observation cuts is that, again, thinking about them not being safe, right? Um if the Black Riders were to come across the other three hobbits with Aragorn, they know, you know, in a sense, yes, they know which one has the, has the ring, or at least they know which one had the ring, right? Um, can they be sure, right? Would they, you know, kill or capture all three of the other hobbits just to be on the safe side? You know, they may well do. Um, but, um, yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Was he Odo Bulger Boffin at one point? That 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 seems quite possible, uh, James. It's kind of a kind of a big, and, and he was Odo Took at least once, wasn't he? Or no? Or I'm thinking of Frodo Took, aren't I? Never mind. Anyway, whatever. Um. So. So yeah, I I definitely think that Gorfindel wanting to keep the party together makes sense in a couple different ways here. Um. And Zephan is uh, right to remind us, as we already discussed, about the uh, the clear the the weariness of Aragorn. Aragorn's running on empty here, right? Um, he's uh, Aragorn's got nothing. So saying to Aragorn, "I'll take Frodo. You take care of the other hobbits," would still be asking a lot of him right now. He's at the end of his rope. Um, yes, trifle. I agree. By Sauron's logic, Aragorn or Gorfindel should be taking the ring especially when the current ring bearer is weak. Yeah, no question. Like that that's what they would do, right? Uh if they if the situations were reverse, they'd seize the ring for themselves. Uh you know, they 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 wouldn't like leave it in the hands of one of these weak but disturbingly frightening little people. Um yeah, good. Um Yeah. Um now, Iwin Dillian, the Nazgul didn't go d- didn't go for anybody in Bree. We talked about this before. The break into the Prancing Pony is almost certainly done by Bill Fernie and the Squint-Eyed Southerner, not by the Nazgul. It's not the Nazgul who break into the inn. It's the men who break into the men in their employ who break into the inn. And, of course, they um, would probably have just tried to, to kidnap all four of the hobbits, I think, certainly. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, good. Okay. We should probably stop there. I only got through two slides. That's my second week of two slides, uh, in a row. Um, but, um, uh, but we can, you know, Iwin Dillian, that's actually not... I mean, of course it is true that a lot of people make that mistake because of the movie, right? Which clearly shows the Nazgul going into the uh, into the inn. Um, by the way, that that scene is my... One of my little pet peeve scenes, actually, is the Nazgul coming in with Butterbur, like cowering behind the bar, looking terrified, right? I hate that scene uh, because, like... Butterbur is powerful, right? The Prancing Pony. The Nazgul can't go into the Prancing Pony. Are you kidding me? The Prancing Pony is like an anti-Nazgul fortress, and Butterbur is at the heart of that. Um, Butterbur has some serious authority where the Nazgul are concerned, uh, and he's ready. He's ready to show, if they show up at his inn again, right? He's going to show them off with a club, um, show them off the premises with a club, right? Um, you know, that I think is... Uh, uh, it, 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 you know, that's Butterbur, right? Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. One does not simply walk into the pony, right? Exactly. That's, that's sort of the Nazgul version of that meme, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Good. Good. Um, excellent. Okay, so yeah. I th- and it is, yeah, both Sam and uh, um, uh, uh, who is it? Uh, down here. Um, 
Oh yeah, Finn. Uh, it, it is that way in the animated version as well. Yes, in fact, it's clearly one of the scenes that Peter Jackson is making a visual homage to from the uh, from the earlier version, right? From the um, the Bakshi uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, yep, yep. Both of them make the same mistake. Anyhow. Um, yeah, exactly, Blue Wizard. He's gonna. He's gonna. Uh, he's gonna take the price of those bolsters out of those Black Riders if they ever come back, right? Um, not to mention Bill Fernie and the Squint-Eyed Southerner. Um, though, of course, with the horse thieving, uh, you know, the uh, price of bolsters becomes a little more moot. Anyhow. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. We're going to uh, shift to our field trip now. Uh, so I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Um, I should be back next week. I'll be back. Uh, I should be back in plenty of time from uh, TextMoot. I'll be coming back Sunday night. So I should uh, be here. We should be fine for Tuesday. So I'll look forward uh, to seeing you guys on Tuesday. Uh, and uh, we'll continue as we inch closer and closer to the Ford. Uh, we'll see. So anyway, uh, so good night, Twitter folks. Thanks for joining us uh, and join us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash SignumU to join us for the rest of our discussion tonight. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Okay, there we go. Good evening, everyone. This is Valori. Hey there. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I totally forgot I have to reset my trait thing. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the trait trees are. It's a good thing I don't need to actually shouldn't need to actually like do anything (laughs) it's weirder with the bjorning because there's some things you can do as a man and some things you can do as a bear and i have to make sure i have duplicates because the bars shift on this oh yes interesting all right that will have to do but if i mess up then please forgive me for all the people who i can't protect this week (laughs) yeah exactly uh yeah so i'll still get I, i can still get my uh my links. So there's that at least. Um, that's cool. Okay. All right. So we're going to head back to, uh, uh, troll shaws. We're going to continue our examination of the troll shaws. Can we get into Delosad without the quest? Do we need the quest or can we wander around in there? I don't actually know. Let's go try it out. Let's try it and see. Let's go explore. So we can take a look at the outside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, I, we, we ended, like basically in the uh, in the open air alcove last time is is where we finished uh-huh. up. Um, so we looked around a little bit enough to clearly establish that this is another Rudaran place. Um, <laughs> of course, all of, it, of course, it's Rudaran. Okay, Pontine says we can go there whenever. So good. If we if we can get in, then I'd like to I'd like to go inside and see what we can see on the inside there. All righty. Doing the usual thing, Oscar Earth, and taking a horse, taking a ride up. I or, think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no, the other option is yeah. going to Rivendell and going to Eckert Canalet, but can't see anything. Sorry, I'm having trouble with uh, my obstructed view here. Okay, people's laundry blocking me. I couldn't. I was going to fall off the bridge. Um, it's night time. Take it in. <laughs> exactly. I know people. Come on, you're going to get dew all over your laundry. Is that what you want? Uh, it's winter, so it'd be freeze-dried at this rate. Exactly. <laughs> okay. 
That's that's one of those things my kids are always asking about when they see it on television. It's like, what about people who dry things outside? Don't they have allergies? <laughs> What's wrong? Ah, uh, yes. Are you, uh, oh wait, we are on uh, Arkenstone, right? Are we on Arkenstone tonight? Which one? Are we on Arkenstone? Is that where we are? Yes. Okay. This is Arkenstone. Yes. That's what I thought. So I, I have no idea remember. where my steps are. All right. Oh. I still have my player music sound turned way up, which is why we're getting serenaded here at the Stable Master. I was, I was doing, um, I was doing Ales and Tales last night, and uh, oh, fun! So I had the I had the music turned way up so we could hear the music over the stream. Well, that's fun. Yeah, no, I don't think I've heard in-game music for years. I think I always have it turned off when we do this and when I do Girls of Mythgard. So I don't. Yeah, know I what. usually turn it down just so that I can. Yeah, so that I'm not suddenly assaulted with sound as I'm riding through, like by the prancing pony or something. But uh, yeah. All right. Listen to Alan's Parsons project in the background. I'm all good. All right. Okay. Um. Okay, so we can go in, but we can't enter any door. That's fine. Uh -huh. That's fine. We can live with that. Yeah. We can look around, break uh, a couple of angles, you know. Right, exactly. All right. Let us head off then, because it's going to take a little bit to get there now. We're getting further and further afield here. Uh -huh. Um. Keep forgetting I have the super speedy mount on. I gotta... I think I gotta dismount and turn it back on. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Did you have a nice holiday then? Yeah, I did have a nice holiday. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> relatively quiet. Um, relatively quiet. Uh, didn't really go anywhere for Christmas this year. We stayed home. Uh, yeah. My wife makes up the uh, call schedule for her work, so she put herself on Christmas this year, you know, just to, like, show that she's not playing favorites on the on the schedule. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. She was paying her dues this year, so we were we were home. Yeah, that's cool. Well, my husband sings at our church, so, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those, uh, well, it's uh, winter solstice. I won't, I'll see you again on New Year's kind of thing. Right, 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 exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we we did it nice and quiet at home. It was it was really fun. Good. I would, yeah. Couldn't get anyone to watch my favorite Christmas movies, which are a wonderful. It's a wonderful life and shop around the corner, but <laughs> they're still not into black and white things where people talk a lot. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to Texmoot this weekend. That is uh, one of the things that I yes. Uh, it's been cool. It's been, you know, it's been, we've been looking forward to it for so long. It's one of those things that has kind of crept up on me, you know, like just, uh, you know, this week I've been like, wow, holy cow. That's just in a couple of days. I'm, I'm, you know, catching a plane <laughs> in two days, you know, it's anyway. So it's, um, uh, been, been really fun to anticipate. Well, hope the weather holds for you. <laughs> yeah. That's well, I, yeah, I think we should be, uh. I think we should be okay, even if we get wretched weather. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that we don't end up with any huge travel delays on account of snow or anything. But mm -hmm. um, haven't seen any 
concerns about that up here. And I'm trusting that we yeah. won't have any problems of that sort uh, down in, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth, where I'm flying into. But this year, it seems more likely there's going to be snow in Texas. I know, exactly, <laughs> right? Given what we've been seeing, as, you know, we were just talking about before. Uh, yeah, no, we just got clobbered with 10 inches out yeah, where I am on the inches? East Coast. 10 have, inches. And I'm, I'm supposed to be going to Williamsburg on Friday for MarsCon. Uh-huh. And uh, we're, yeah. we're, we're third saying more snow Thursday and more possibly again on Sunday. So We've gotten rain and, and rain and rain this year. Oh. We've gotten so much rain in the month of December. And a bunch of ice. My kids have still had several snow days because we've had we've had several really dangerous icy mornings. Um, oh man, ice days are the worst days. It's like all the snow day, none of the fun. Yeah. Attached. Yeah, this one was fun. You know, the the kids. We finally got the kids to shovel out the driveway for themselves this year. It was amazing. Oh, there you go. We just, we just had to pay. You know what we would pay anybody else to do it for well, us. So. The, yeah, don't you hate it when you've got to end up paying your own kids? Yeah. And you're like, man. This did not happen when I was a kid. Yeah, well, so then just playing in the snow and making cookies, and I think we binged watched two whole seasons of The Good Place, and my head hurts now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Fun times, though. Fun times. Yeah, we've had some cold weather, but it never coincides with the. It has never really coincided with the precipitation up here in New Hampshire so mm. far this year. Weird. Yeah, it's been a strange year. Yeah, I think we're supposed to get hammered again in February on top of that, too. See, February is usually our nasty month, so mm-hmm. it's where we're getting it. But, yeah, every, you know, for, and for all the people laughing up north for, like, oh, my gosh, 10 inches, like, this is this is Virginia where we don't get that nice powder that packs down and you can well, drive I'm, on top of it. This is basically like a road covered in soap sets. Yeah, yeah. No, and, it's, and, and, and I understand. I mean, you know, from having lived down there. In fact, it was funny. I was just... Reflecting on that, I was uh, I was driving through my uh, I took my family up skiing to the very northern part of Vermont. We were right near. In fact, we were so close to uh, to to we we're so close to the to the northern border of Vermont that um, mm-hmm. at one point I was dropping them off at the at the ski slope, uh, and we all get this text on our phones saying, "Welcome to Canada. Your Verizon service will work." You know, just I'm like, "Wait a second, we're not in Canada, but we, I guess apparently nice we must try, have caught Brad. service from a Canadian cell tower." Is, is oh, how it's how close we were. Um, yeah, that's close. But anyway, uh, so we're way up in the north of Vermont, and as we were driving home, we were driving home, you know, sort of through the country, and we're in these tiny little Vermont towns, way way up up in the, in the north of the state. And in one of the towns, we drove past this big barn in this whole yard with like all of their snow plows, right? For, for, the, for the, for the town, this, the town, there could not have been like a thousand people who lived in that town. Right. But I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this lot. Right. And I'm like, you know, I bet you this little town up here in Northern Vermont has more snow plows than the entire city of Atlanta. Basically, you know? <laughs> I, think I would not uh, yeah. be at all surprised to discover that. Um, so yeah, you know, I get it. It's it's just different. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I was trying to s- describe to somebody up in Canada right now. It's like, what's it like driving on Virginia snow? And they were they were playing Lotro too. I think it was one of the girls of Mythgard. And I'm like, imagine trying going up that switchback mountain in Misty Mountains <laughs> right. on a war steed. <laughs> right. <laughs> that kind of drift, you know, that little you know horsey rear end drift. Yeah. Fantailing. That is that is Virginia snow driving right there. <laughs> it is not <Yeah>. pretty. <laughs> 
And I have this gigantic van. Vend off the white, remember. Oh, wow. I have you floating on in midair, actually. Oh, my Harry Pottering? Yes, you're totally Harry Pottering right now. Um, anyway, okay, so here's the Ford, by the way. So we're going to, we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time here, of course, when we actually get to the Ford in the text. But um, I figured we might yes, as well. For those of you taking bets earlier, I don't know if this counts. You'll have to debate that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if this counts as making it to the Ford. Um, But I wanted to come over here so that we could go down river, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Be prepared to be dismounted by deep areas. Yeah, we're going to get there. But then we're going to get a... Can can we get there through this area or do we have to go... On I think we can get down the switchback past Echo Candleth. Uh, be prepared to suddenly die in an area of river because we're not supposed to be in this part. But let's try I think, it. I think I've, I think I've, uh, um, I think I've swum down from here before. I think we're okay. Okay, let's see what happens. Right here's where the area where right, the blooming fans with all the bog lurkers. Oh yeah, they're all they're all coming out to play now. Uh huh. Okay, so we've got some. Little swampy areas down here. Uh huh. I'm a little tied up here. Looking at the terrain. Okay. Are you Are you getting attacked? Yep, just a bit. You're, you're getting a bit attacked. Okay, yeah, just you might, a bit. You, you, you Not might, to your notice. You might want to stick to the river. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if you're at lower levels, just stay in the middle of the stream is probably the safest thing. Uh, I'm, I was defending lowlies. Oops. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Do we run out of uh, terrain up here? I think we Not can. sure. Let's see. We were exploring. I just wanted to see if there was anything else over here on this bank. Because I know there are a few things that yeah, we can get through here. There are a few things kind of scattered around that I wanted to make sure we didn't miss. Hmm. <laughs> Someone's still running around being wrapped up by a vine. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. You think that would have dispersed by now. Bringing their vine with them. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. So where are we? How close are we to? Oh, we're getting down there. Okay. I'll keep going over here. Uh, because we've had no evidence. Of course, my interest here is not just looking for like current settlements and things really relevant to the game, but really any sort of historical evidence um, as well. Like, is there any evidence that, because we had, uh, Delosat is clearly a, um, a Rudaran place, mm-hmm. but we know we are way at the, aha, here's one place of interest. Oh, yeah. This little cabin here. Uh, now, of course, we know this is important in the epic quest line. Uh, you know, won't spoil it for people who haven't done that part of the epic quest line because we don't have to talk about it. But we do know that this this uh, cabin is of comparatively recent um, make. This- Yes. That is, you know, within the third age. So it's like less than 3,000 years old, this, this cabin. Um, really significantly so, because we also know it's after the fall of Arnor. So, um, 
it is post, certainly post the ancient Rudauran time, even post um, the, uh, um, uh, even after the whole um, Arnorian civil wars were done. Um, but one of the things that interests me about this here without giving anything away, we know that this cabin was built in order to be isolated, right? So that it, I mean, it was, it was meant to be in the middle of nowhere. Um, which, you know, tells us some kind of interesting things about this area that it is seen as, you know, particularly specifically, um, desolate, desolate. Yeah. (laughs) Down here as we're heading down towards a region, which is mostly desolate, uh, and working farther away, the only thing that we get is that old outpost, uh, you know, which we're closer and closer to. Yeah, we are, in fact, directly across from that now. Um, but it's way yeah, yeah. up on the I heights could, over there. I oh, in fact, hey, there. look, there we get the cool view of the ruins from below. Or n- mm-hmm. Nice, yeah. But again, notice you ha- don't have a wall, you have a colonnade. Now, who would need to build a wall on top of that sheer cliff? Um, but still. Um, you know, we see, as we've seen before, the evidence that the Rudauran, many of the Rudauran structures out here in the, you know, hinterlands of, uh, um, of, of the old Rudauran kingdom, um, are, you know, mostly for, um, mostly for, uh, not decoration, but for, for, for pleasure rather than for defense. These are not fortresses leisure. that we're seeing. Yes. They're leisure palaces. Leisure palaces. Exactly. Um, Delosan, yeah, nice though, view. Yeah. Delosan, though, I'm not so sure about. So that's it right up here. Okay. I think hmm. my, uh, yeah, my links is back there killing things as we go along. Um, so yeah, we saw very clearly that, um, Obviously, it's Rudauran from the very beginning, right? You can clearly uh-huh. see the very prominent crowns uh, right there. Notice how we have the multiple sort of colonnade uh, structure there, which was just like the one across the river there, right? It's almost like they're they're parts of the same whole, like yeah, like like they're meant to sort of counterpoint each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, Bill Dernick, on the other side of the river. The we saw that ruin. We well, we saw the ruin where the um, the Gowardine are, where the 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 wolf folks, right? Um, that's the only ruin that we found down down over here. Um, we saw the, of course, there's uh, you know Echad Kendaleth up there, and there are a few other random gazebos and stuff through there. Um, <laughs> but this was a more major one that we went into, and it was really interesting. But it was definitely Rudauran, and more fortress-like, certainly, than many of these others. But here, going back to Delosad, so we see the way that it corresponds, right? The way that it corresponds with uh, Echad Kendaleth up above on the hill there. My question, okay. I'm trying to figure out, what was the purpose of this, do you think? There's some drop masonry here indicating there's pieces of it that fell off from uh, one or the from, other. From up above, presumably, right? Now, Possibly. It's dark in here. You know, the, uh-huh. the thing closes in. You know, the light closes in. We're going through this... It's pretty when you turn around, though. Really? In both directions? We've if you got, stop... Yeah. If you, uh, 
Yeah, at the top of the stairs, it's very beautiful if you look back through the purple. Yeah, we've got all these hanging growths and things. They're really nice. Um, it's not sinister, just dark. Right, because we're under, you know, we're in a tunnel, right? So that's fine. Uh-huh. Um, my question when I was looking around in here, I was like, is this meant to be, like, is this, like, tomb or secret garden? Like, that's what I was kind of, because this, this has a kind of secret garden effect to it, right? Yeah, you know, we, it's like a grotto, a big, big old grotto with an open plan here. Yeah, and I it's, think the court, yeah. it is open to the sky, right? Yeah, it, just, it looks like it was a cave-in, but uh, you definitely get the feeling that this oh, yeah, was there put here because of the cave-in that had happened earlier and not afterwards. Right, exactly. There's like a skylight. So there is a, there is a ceiling, but it's got a skylight in it. Yeah, and because we know the other one's a leisure palace, this might have been some sort of grotto retreat. You know, some place to go when it was hot in the summer. Right, it would certainly have been cooler in here. Um, and yeah, this looks... Um, this looks very, um, uh, and yes, it is Echad Kandoweth up on the other side of the river there, Crystal Eowyn. That's exactly it. Um, yeah, so, um, <laughs> sorry to the people who are still carrying vines around. Druid's Fire says that's getting fixed in that? the next patch, I think. It's just a, it's just a, a bug. Uh, sorry about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> you go smoke your pipe with the vines around you. It's all cool. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a passage? Is this... this is, yeah, so the ceiling comes down lower over here. Where's, yeah, it's a, it's a step entrance, I believe. Yeah, where is this? This is. It's back, like we're near the top of the cliff yeah. up here. Yeah, it's interesting. And then... But then the whole way around, it's just one round cave. Right? Yep. Big red, red tender... Yeah, kind of and thing. then right, and you've got the uh, the lower ceilings through here because you've got the walkway up above that you can get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two stories. That's it's pretty impressive in this biggest space. Yeah. Okay, so you come into the secret garden, then you got to go up the steps. Uh huh. So we're now closer to the where the ceiling comes down up here. Yeah, and, we've and you see, it, it this... turns into natural rock up there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We see this arched facade all the way around, and a path goes all the way around the top. So on both Safe. levels, you have yeah. this, you know, sort of um, cloister effect, right? Yeah. Um, it's a cheat for a vaulted ceiling. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a little... And then we get iron bars here. Side chapel here. Well, there's iron bars on it. Iron Not the bars quite, are, are those bars recent? Yeah. Are those, are those included or those them. recent? They've got hammers. Yeah. Look at the hammers. They're dwarf made. They do look dwarf made. And then look at the look at the, the detail work. Mm-hmm. The Celtic knot work. You can see exactly. it a little better in the light out here. Yeah, yeah. And the and those those hammers are very dwarf hammers. So this was a recent addition and possibly not put in by Rudar. Because we do know that later that the elves have claimed this area. So. Yes. So was this um was this the Rudaurans ordering a set of dwarf made gates which is 
conceivable. What would you keep in here if this is a leisure palace and you have iron bars? Is this like an animal stable? It's a little weird. I don't know. This is where you keep the chihuahuas? I don't know. <laughs> bars would have to be a little closer together. Uh, to okay, not that. the chihuahuas. All right, big old wolfhounds. Yeah. Uh, right. Is yeah, yeah, more bars same? here. Yeah. Yeah. Notice how the hammers are only on the back side. Yeah, it's almost like this is the front and the other side is the back. Yeah, which is weird. The front is from the inside? Or it's almost like on the back side here, the people who made the gates put their like trademark up above the door. But they yeah, leave... it's like the signature on the back of the painting. Exactly, actually. yeah. But they leave the plate empty up front so that you know the owner can put his name there, you know, or the function of the room, or something. Right, exactly. It's like so, you don't confuse the rabbit pen with the dog pen. Yeah, no one would want that. Um, yeah. But Strange. yeah, those are pretty big gates, pretty big bars. So really definitely are. bigger than a Chihuahua. Yeah. How big? How big is the question, and what to what end? What is this, a cliff? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's... Oh, yeah, yeah. This I've broken my leg on this one before. Oh, this is... Yes, this, yes. this looks a little short-sighted. That's, that's near the entrance to the um, the stairs that go oh, down. Oh, right, this is where you know, the there might have been, Right, this is where they come There might have been stairs here that made up some material that rotted away. All right, well, so now we have, like, a bridge effect here. Uh-huh. And, of course, we know all too well that uh, elves don't use guardrails. Yeah, so exactly. Um, as I know to my cost there's, from my there's experience no, in Rivendell. Yeah. There's no OSHA for elves. Yeah, yeah so... Oh, look! The oh, dwarfs see this are, one, the hammer's on front. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say the same thing. Are they on both sides, I wonder? It's nope. the same kind of room. It's not any different. Yeah. I think it just it's down to installation probably. Yeah, exactly. Maybe who maybe whoever installed it installed the other ones wrong. Yeah, it's like my IKEA bookcase that has the plywood sticking out on one end of the shelves and the other ones have the the laminate on the right side. Yeah, made that mistake with uh one of my son's birthday or Christmas presents this year. We installed it uh installed <laughs> oh, one of the parts backwards and he was like, eh, "It's okay. I can live with that." Yeah. We were focusing on function and didn't notice that the label was just on the absolute wrong side. It's fixable, but we decided not to bother. Um, maybe that was the same situation here. Yeah. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so the dwarves shipped all the parts in a flat exactly. box and the elves yeah. had to put it together. And there's some point going, you know, you idiot, you put it on backwards. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think that's, that's I think clearly the best explanation of this. The dwarves didn't install it themselves, so they would have, they would have been. No, consistent. they bought a klumvar from the dwarven smiths. Yeah. These are wooden doors. These doors are unusual. Have uh, you seen doors quite like yeah. this? I don't remember this kind of handle. I don't remember either. Hinge decorations. It's unusual just to have wooden doors at all. Usually they look like they're yeah. made of, you know, bronze or something like that. I think we're used to seeing portcullis and things like these. And that too. Yeah, exactly. Oops, I can't get in. It won't let me in without the corresponding quest. I think that's quest related to yeah, the to okay. the epic quest. 
so I can't see. It's, it's an amazing eye. quest, by the way. I know. Oh, I, I do love wanted, that quest. Yeah. I want to do that quest line again now. Yeah. So whoa, oh. who opened oh, it? Hey. Someone else got the quest. Still not going to win. Someone else got it. At least I can peek. Yeah. Hang on. All right, we can peek. There is two doors and nothing else. Those are doorways, Thanks. right? Yeah, two doorways. Doorways, not That's niches. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, and the door just slammed in my face. That was so cold. Took my nose off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Okay. All right. Um, well, a tantalizing glimpse inside of Delisad. <laughs> so. Just a lot of bars. Tamsin, I wonder if it lets you in. It still lets you in after you've completed the quest, but if you have never gotten that quest yet it won't let you in i would not huh. be surprised so maybe we can go in on a later alt or something like that who's already done the quest yeah yeah i suspect so because yeah, i seem to remember keep going in mind next time we're on landreval that's true though narnian won't have been in but uh oh. yeah hmm. narnian who has I'm not sure if any yeah. of Narnian's manifestations have ever completed a quest. Um, yeah, I have similar problems with my alts on these other servers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Get, uh, Katriana, I don't think I'm going to be able to get Narnian uh, up that high. Uh, that seems unlikely. Although, um, I am going to have to do some actual XP work with Narnian on Honor, uh, which we're mm. looking to do. Um, oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a kind of idea that when we arrive at Rivendell, it would be fun to celebrate <laughs> the arrival at Rivendell by doing yeah. like uh, uh, a lobby run, right? Like a chicken run where like, <sighs> you know, we take like level five Narnian and try to get me all the way to Rivendell without dying. <laughs> with level 13 Valori. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah, that 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 could be a fun uh, little project. Um, Ride or die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Preferably uh, not the latter. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. What? Oh, it's getting late. I was going to say we could ride up in yeah. the hills, but maybe we'll save the hills in Giant Valley for next time. But conclusions here. So, what do we think? Probably an unusual, like a retreat center, is mm-hmm. the likeliest usage of this like original usage rudaurin usage of this um mm-hmm. i mean it's not so, later elven usage exactly exactly i i think that the you know the tunnel on the way in it you know it it it, it has a kind of funerary aspect to it and the way that it gets darker not just because the sunlight disappears but it seems like we get that like almost dread induced shadow right as we as we approach in like you do in different parts of angmar um uh-huh. Yeah, I think that that gave me the impression when I first visited here, like maybe this was an old crypt or burying ground or, or you know, some kind of arcane, uh, you know, site for arcane rituals or something like that. But I don't see any reason to suspect just from looking at the architecture in here that this had any kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, black magic or even uh, mortuary purposes, really. Uh-huh. Um, it seems most now it's hard because on the one hand I want to say I think I'm I am uh, I am perhaps influenced by the current state of things like when we come in here and we've got all these lovely flowers and nice trees 
it makes it sa- look all, and you know the floating you know dandelion puffs right as they're going by um it looks extremely peaceful but that could all be recent right this has been a ruin for you know more than a thousand years so um all that stuff could have just grown up and we know that the elves have been here since then right so um, and they can restore light to a place that was once grim and dark. Indeed, they could even have knocked the hole in the roof, conceivably. Yeah. Right, so that grass and trees could return to this place. Indeed, that leads me to notice these trees are all really young trees. There was no way these trees... Maybe those ones are a well, little Well, they don't taller, get a lot of light, either. They don't get a lot of light. But they don't look... These are not huge, ancient trees, right? I don't see any reason These are like the trees that spring up in my flower beds. Exactly. I don't see any reason to think that any one of these trees has been here for a thousand years, honestly. Okay. So, maybe it was the elves that knocked the hole in the roof. Maybe the elves knocked the hole in the roof, let the sunlight in so that grass, flowers, and trees could grow in the middle of this, which would mean that originally, and if we go closer to the edges, we can see perhaps, eh, still flowers over here, at least certainly if we go underneath, rock and dirt, right, is the floor over here. So if this yeah, was yeah. just a stone, a rough stone floor in the central so quarters, it- if we imagine it being dark, right, um, it's more like a stronghold than... Yes, like a, it would be a secret stronghold. Still strangely designed, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kate says... Like, would, see, I'm now seeing that area with the no stairs is like a place where you'd put pots of boiling oil or molten lead or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird, though, because, again, it's all cloistery right it's just like places to stroll it looks like you know the admittedly or the store things or just <laughs> conceivably right but yeah the whole the whole you know cloister underneath and cloister up above and yes we do get the strange dwarf made gates you know with the iron cool bars bar. which look like they could be they don't look like cells they're a little spacious and outdoory for cells but um but still you know they're um uh, this just looks like mostly open wandering territory rather than what you would expect to see out of cells. Though I guess we've seen spacious cells like the cells in, uh, in Brie with their, you know, 18 foot cathedral ceilings and stuff. Um, <laughs> so, you know, who knows? Um, uh, uh, Jake Weeze is suggesting maybe the central space could be a mustering yard. Yeah, it could be a private gathering spot, like a secret gathering spot. Um, though what you would yeah. be mustering for, I mean, you're way the heck. I mean, just thinking map-wise, right? I mean, this has got to be, got to be the point furthest away from the center of Rudaurin power. Yeah, this is more of a last entire. resort than a sudden call to arms. Yeah, yeah, certainly. This certainly. is a this is a bunker. This is a bunker. It's not a, a stronghold. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe this is like we will retreat into the distant south, and you know, like if worse comes to the worst, we can retreat into the distant south, and um, you know, and it's, it's easy to miss here. this place from the outside if you don't know where to find it. It is. It is. Um, I mean, of course, the outside door, a little more conspicuous than you would expect if it were a, you know, a panic room. Um, uh-huh. 
but you know i think it's uh it seems conceivable especially if you're not expecting somebody to come scouring this part of the country because it's so far out of the way right yeah well the hidden stronghold they lost it because it was too well hidden yeah uh, Luke is wondering if this could have been a stronghold of, or a secret uh, refuge of rebel Rudarans who were uh, holding to the old non-evil ways as the Rudaran kingdom went, you know, under the influence of Angmar. Um, possibly. Like, like, all, like all the vassals in the summer palaces were suddenly like, okay, we're not into this. And right, they exactly, just sort of yeah. We th- ran away. Things are getting so all not, not dark the soldiers. gloomy. Yeah, exactly. Let's... You know. Possibly. Um, I would expect if it were a hidden retreat, I would still expect there is not a gate or a door. Right. I mean, like this was not built to be defended. There's a passage in it's secret, kind of secret. And it's, uh, uh, you know, you only have the one entrance. So that's kind of defensible. But there are no gates, doors or walls anywhere, uh, you know, blocking the entry. So doesn't really look like a fortress but i could see retreat but i the the the, i keep coming back to the comment you made about the elves knocking the holes and the ceiling and that's that's a very sort of tom bombadil solution too. just leave everything to the sun right it is a kind of tom bombadil solution um now trifle is suspecting that liar that uh lyardon would not put it to the use that he did if it was evil you know if it had like an evil tradition yeah, it's a little spoilery, but it's a very good point. It's very. possible. It's possible. Yeah. yeah uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Beldarnik is suggesting that possibly entrance doors or gates were destroyed in the past, which is always conceivable. But, I mean, these pillars clearly never had a gate in between them. I don't see any evidence of any... Yeah, this looks like a place that was never meant to be defended. Yeah, really. I think it's got like, pillars in there, but no. Yeah, I don't see any evidence that there was ever any gate. No iron bracers. All the rock here is natural and just... Yeah. it's. I mean, these pillars and arches, these are just decorative. That's, I mean, look at this. This is pretty with the, the dawn light coming in. Uh, from this side, it almost looks like wisteria Ooh. instead of being ivy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That is nice with the light from outside. Is it dawn? Yeah, it is. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's dawn. Nice. Yeah. It's peaceful. Yeah, it does look nice. Um, retreat? Uh, maybe the home of a Rudaran monastic order. Ah, I like it. No evidence that there was ever any such thing. But that kind of thing I could see, you know. But yeah, it doesn't seem like, you know, evil rites were once held here. It doesn't seem like I don't see any tombs or evidence of tombs. Um, Yeah. But, um, so yeah. Retreat center. Um you know, you could probably book your bar mitzvahs here, maybe. I don't know. You know, it's... <laughs> I could see something like that, you know. Wedding like, hall. Wedding hall. Girls' nights. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, Girl Scout camps, that kind of thing. Yeah. Bridal showers. Yeah. Um, Karaoke parties. Yeah. And then the elves say, but what you really need is a hole in the ceiling. So let's knock that through (laughs) and grow some trees down here. Yeah. So now it's weather permitting. Yeah. (laughs) Right, exactly. It used to be a nice indoor venue where you didn't have to worry about the weather. Right. And then those darn elves come along and knock the holes in the ceiling. And now you got to roll the dice. That's how it is. Uh, All right. Well, with with that thought and theory, uh, we should late. probably yeah, it's getting late. We should probably leave. Um, thanks everybody for joining us. We will uh, we'll head up probably up uh, in the mountains up towards uh, Giant Valley next time uh, as we continue our exploration and get down towards the fords. Um, in the story, that is. Um, as I say, I should be here next week, so I look forward to seeing everybody next week. Thanks for joining and us. Good night, Texmoot. everybody. Thank you. Bye. I will enjoy. I hope to see some of you guys at Texmoot. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.